Hello. Welcome to the first episode of Heavy Typing. I'm author Frank Hagen, and I hope you enjoy this story. Avenue of Punchlines. I had everything prepared and saw no reason to delay any longer. If I succeeded, I would be beyond the reach of those who loved me, but also beyond the problems closing in around me. It had been a terrible year, as were the years prior. There was no endeavor in which I was involved that had not resulted in indisputable failure. Dwelling on the past had become my only joy, and bittersweet at that, as the memories seemed to fall apart in my hands. If only I could go back and live in placid time. If I could not warn myself of the disasters to come, I could at least live a parallel life somewhere, making use of what I now knew. But that was impossible, of course. But maybe it was possible. That's when I got this idea and I decided I had nothing to lose. I wrote a note explaining my intentions, sealed it inside of an envelope, and added my uncle's name and address. I didn't dare mail it. If for some reason I was not successful, then it would be extremely embarrassing to explain. As an afterthought, I scribbled his phone number below his address. I double-checked that the device appeared to be working properly. Everything seemed fine. An elegantly simple but powerful machine with the power to transport me from the woes of my modern life. Sweat from my forehead made its way slowly down my face, and I wiped it away, wondering where I might wind up. Perhaps I wouldn't find myself anywhere, but instead trapped in some perpetual state of consciousness without sensation. This was my worst fear, but I had repeatedly put it aside. Endless, pointless existence sounded more like it, just like the job and apartment that I would be leaving behind. More than likely, if I didn't arrive in a place, I would simply be annihilated. I arranged myself properly so that there would be no mistakes, I didn't want to leave a half-man behind. As I pulled back on the triggering mechanism, I noticed that my apprehension had been replaced with a sense of calm. I had stepped into the flow of the moment, offering no resistance to its gentle pull. Everything was much quieter than I had anticipated, but the brilliance of light hurt my eyes to look at. Wild shapes and sounds roiled around me, My body itself buzzed with a numb, tingling sensation that was not entirely unpleasant. The momentum continued to drag me into itself. There was nothing to grab onto and no place to set my feet. If it were not that, I had no sense of time at all as the visions and sounds drifted around me. I might have worried that my worst fears were coming true. Even if it were, I was totally content. It was the cool feeling on my cheek that I first noticed. 
I thought that I was laying down and I was pushing myself up, but I had actually been leaning against a concrete wall. I fell backward into the dirty street and twisted myself awkwardly trying to soften the landing. My palms were slightly scuffed, but no blood came. I could see my raw knee through the hole in my pants, however. A wet ring was forming there now, but its sting was mild. The little road was a dusty alleyway of some kind, lined with overfull trash cans and empty boxes. Trash that had broken free clogged the gutter and dotted the worn gray asphalt. There were, among other garbage, crushed cans, plastic bottles filled with grimy liquids, shards of glass, shriveled, dried-out condoms, and smashed appliances. Little pools of rotting, cast-away food were connected by sticky streams which flowed down the slight grade, emptying into chewed-up potholes. A pinching pain went through my ankle as I walked back to the wall and leaned myself on it. I was still orienting myself when I heard a little sound from beneath some boxes. With a slight limp, I walked over and listened. Certainly there was a little moan from beneath the pile. Hello, I asked. Is there someone under there? When no other reply came besides further groaning, I lifted the boxes and threw them into the dusty street. There in the gutter laying in the detritus was a middle-aged man, maybe slightly older, with his arms crossed over his chest and his knees bent up to his elbows. His face seemed frozen in horror, his mouth was locked open and his chin thrust forward. His eyes were out of focus. The only indication that this man was alive was the quiet moaning escaping his wide mouth. He wore a stained red and white striped tennis shirt. That's George, a voice said from behind me. I turned with surprise and saw that there was a crowd of dirty men and women gathered around me. I had not heard them coming. Most of them did not wear shoes on their blackened feet. The man directly behind me spoke again. He ain't hurting nobody. Why'd you remove his covers like that? The man pushed his greasy hair behind his ears and wiped his nose with the back of his filthy hand. A couple children, I couldn't tell whether they were boys or girls, started to recover George with boxes and trash. One of them couldn't have been older than two years and made a kind of motor sound as he or she pushed trash into George's legs. They were holding their hands together like a plow. I heard this moaning, I began to explain. I thought he might need help. There was some laughter from the crowd and the man smiled. He bent down slightly and looked at George. You need help, George? George, of course, gave no reply. I'm sorry, I said. I wanted to get away from this alley and its indigent citizens. The man continued to look at George. What's wrong, George? Why so long in the face, he asked, exaggerating concern. The crowd burst into deep laughter and he giggled through a huge smile as he tossed a box over George's face. The man offered me his vile hand and introduced himself. His fingernails were long, sharp, and dirt-encrusted. I'm Jimmy, he said. I shook his hand when no alternative came to mind. The crowd began to wander off, except for the children who were busy rebuilding the pile that George lived under. You're new here, but you already knew that. 
I'm not sure how I came into this road. I was just on my way out. I looked around me. In one direction, the alley came to an abrupt end after only about 100 feet, where another wall connecting the two sides of the street loomed up. In the other direction, I could not tell how far the alley went as it appeared to curve. Sure, Jimmy said. You won't want to be staying here long. He smiled again. I could see that half his teeth on one side were missing or broken and covered with brown plaque. But aren't you hungry? Why don't you have something to eat before you get going? I couldn't account for why, but I did surely feel hungry just when he mentioned it. I felt a pang in my stomach that I'd only rarely felt before. I could always get something to eat when I get where I'm going, I offered. I don't think it's far. Jimmy smiled again, but then he closed his mouth and put on a serious face. No, not far. I'd be sure of it, too. But if you're hungry, we can eat now. There's water, too. I didn't even realize it, but I am quite thirsty, I told the man. I don't know why I even replied out loud, except that I thought I could have a quick drink and then leave without seeming impolite. Come over here, Jimmy motioned with his hand and we walked a little way down the alley, passing a little makeshift dwelling made out of cardboard boxes. That's my place. That's how I saw you messing with George. As we walked by, a fat man with huge deformed ears sat on a plastic milk crate waving at me. That's Charlie, Jimmy said without looking. After a few more hundred feet, Jimmy lifted a heavy trash can. He struggled somewhat with the weight as he moved it aside, exposing a cubby hole carved into the brick wall behind. He grimaced, as if aggravating an old injury, I thought, and reached into the hole, bringing out a plastic bag. There was a hamburger patty inside, which he broke into two halves, handing me one of them. The other half he carefully rewrapped in the bag, and replaced inside the wall. I stood there holding half the hamburger as he strained to put the trash can back in front of his hiding spot. Aren't you hungry, I asked Jimmy. Nah, not really. I'm saving my half for later. He laughed and sat down on the ground where he leaned against the wall. I sat down beside him. Where can I get water? This burger looks dry. He picked up a plastic bottle from the ground. There was some translucent grayish liquid inside. He gave it a little shake before handing it to me. This will have collected with the rain a couple nights ago. Not much, but fresh as they come. I had no intention of eating a hamburger that had been hidden inside of a wall or drinking rainwater mixed with what looked like cigarette ash. But Jimmy was looking at me with that smile again and I heard the street people around me watching, although I couldn't see them. I could eat this small amount of food and drink this trickle of water and then get away to where I could vomit it up. Hesitantly, I took a small bite of the hamburger and began chewing. As I chewed, the rancid taste filled my mouth and I felt like I may actually have turned green. Jimmy was watching me. I thought for certain that I was going to vomit before I could eat any more of it, but I was really hungry. I never before imagined being so hungry as to get down something so disgusting, but I swallowed and took another bite. I was chewing and Jimmy was nodding in unison with my jaw movements, smiling his broad, broken smile. 
When I swallowed again, I drank the dirty water without even thinking and wiped the sweat from my forehead. I was out of breath as if I'd been running. What's wrong, friend? Jimmy asked. Nothing, I lied. It's just that this burger tastes a little funny. And why aren't you laughing? Jimmy held his stomach as he laughed, a deep belly laugh. And I heard the others laughing from wherever they watched, hidden. Jimmy slapped my shoulder. There were tears in his eyes. After a few minutes, he wiped the tears away and he said, Go on, finish that last part. At last, I took the final bite and patiently held its repugnant flavors in my mouth. I chewed. This last bite seemed to take forever to finish. I was holding my breath as I chewed. Jimmy surprised me by gently touching my arm. That's it, buddy, he said. His smile was gone. A short woman with a large, bald head came out of a shadowed alcove nearby, and after looking both ways, crossed over to us. I swallowed the last of the burger as she approached. You shouldn't make me laugh like that, Jimmy, she said, opening a notebook. She looked around herself as she jotted something down with a broken pencil, putting them both inside a pocket in her ragged floral dress. The pattern reminded me of a couch in my parents' house from probably over 30 years ago. I'm afraid I'll crack up, she said. Jimmy waved her away. Get out of here, Jinzy. This guy, she said, ignoring Jimmy. It's disgusting. I looked at her dirt-smeared face with an unexpected feeling of hurt. I'm what? I asked. She picked dirt out from under a fingernail with her teeth, smiling, and spit it out. Don't even know his name yet, Virginia, Jimmy said, emphasizing her name. We ain't that far yet. My name is, I said standing up, but I didn't know my name. I stood looking at them, confounded. How could I have forgotten my own name? Jimmy may have given the woman an icy look as he stood up himself. Your name is Mitch, the woman said, itching at her huge bald scalp and looking around. It is not. I have no idea why this bothered me so much as I obviously had no idea what my name was. But Mitch didn't sound right at all. Jimmy was red in the face now. Jinsey, God forsake thee, it is not time. I wrote it down already and there's no eraser, she told Jimmy. A man whom I did not notice because he was laying behind a tarp, poked his head out and said, If you two can't stop arguing, I'm going to find another cave, and pulled the tarp over his head in irritation. There was more laughter from around us. I just need to get where I'm going, I said nervously to both of them. I'm sure to remember my name by then. That's right, Mitch. Jimmy spit on the wall that we'd been leaning on. We've been keeping you long enough. Whatever, Jinzy said. She leaned on a rusting cart and paid us no mind as if she'd never been talking to us. Jimmy started walking and I followed him. The alleyway seemed impossibly long. The curve in the road was always ahead of us. People watched from crude lean-tos and from the shadows of little alcoves as we passed them, warming themselves with little bonfires of trash. We were almost hit by a woman urinating down into the street from a broken fire escape, and Jimmy threw a chance piece of brick up at her, but she just laughed. Learn to flush, she yelled at her as we continued walking. I was thinking of the water I drank earlier. How did she get up there, I asked. 
There was no obvious way to climb up, and I just noticed that the walls of the buildings had no doors or windows. Well, Mitch, that must be where she landed. I was afraid to ask what he meant, but I think I was already starting to understand. At one point, we had to wade through a deep pile of trash that blocked the entire road. The trash was so deep that something bumped painfully into my scraped knee, which I had forgotten about. I was sure that the wound was going to become infected. I would need to clean it as soon as possible. Jimmy was swearing under his breath. I rolled up my sleeves. The air had turned humid. A man wearing a stained apron was sitting on the far side of the trash pile, sobbing to himself. In one hand, he held a broomstick, and in the other, he held the brush. The broom handle had broken off, and straw was falling out of the brush and onto the ground. Tony! Jimmy screamed. Tony! Look at me! The man looked up, his face contorted with uncontrollable crying. James, it's horrible, the man managed to say, his mustache wet with tears. What happened? We almost drowned in all that trash. Tony's sobbing intensified, becoming hysterical. From deep in his gut, he cried like I have only ever seen small children cry. I couldn't imagine losing that much control over myself. Then Tony began screaming. I overswept. Even at this point, I was surprised to hear laughter from all around me. Jimmy was laughing too. I felt horrible for Tony, who appeared to me to have lost his mind, but the laughter was infectious and even I was laughing. My alarm never went off, he yelled, barely able to get the words out. He was laughing so hard. I suddenly felt very embarrassed. I didn't know any of these people. I'm sorry, sir, I told Tony. I don't mean to laugh at you. Everyone continued laughing, but the sobbing man considered me carefully for a few seconds. First, he threw the brush at me, and then he heaved the handle at me, the way one would throw a spear. It hit me in the chest, surprising me. I was catching my breath when he seized me by the throat and began choking me. I was too shocked to stop him, but managed to get some words out. Please, sir. Tony, I'm nobody, please. Tony was laughing all the while he choked me. Tears ran down his face. Jimmy managed to pry Tony's hands from my neck and separate us. I dropped to my knees, panting on the black top like an overheated dog. The laughter heard in the alley was waning, and Tony had stopped crying. He shrugged his shoulders and pointed to me. Look who thinks he's nobody, Tony said to applause and resumed laughter. There were even a few whistles. Tony and Jimmy smiled and shook hands before helping me to my feet. I really am sorry, I told Tony, who just waved his hand. How's Cindy doing, Jimmy asked Tony. Oh, she's fine, but she's up on the roof. More laughter from the shadows. I looked up, trying to imagine the roofs of these windowless buildings. I wasn't even sure if what I saw was the actual sky as the eaves were lost in a smoky haze that I had took to be pollution. I felt tremendous sadness. She couldn't hold out, Tony said. The two men smiled, but it seemed that they were wincing through their smiles. Maybe my own malaise was influencing what I saw, but the three of us did not join in with the roar of laughter. I must have been sweeping, Tony moved his hands towards the pile of trash we had waded through. 
Mitch, I said and shook Tony's hand. Welcome, Mitch, Tony said. I'm very tired, gentlemen. He sat down in the street. I'm sorry about Cindy and about your broom, I offered. He began sobbing uncontrollably again. Everyone had resumed laughing. Tony was laughing and sobbing at the same time. We better get moving, Jimmy said, taking my arm to lead me, chuckling to himself and shaking his head. We walked for some time and still the alleyway went on. Jimmy, why aren't there any windows? Seriously, was his only reply, and I didn't ask him again. I lost this train of thought anyway as I noticed that the curve in the road was no longer before us and dared to hope that the road may be coming to an end. That's when a man walked straight into me, knocking me to the ground hard. The flustered man wore a sickly suit that looked like it might have been once bright yellow. He spoke to us but kept walking until he touched the wall. He immediately hurried back across to touch the wall on the other side, speaking to us but not looking at anything but the two walls. It's just, he told us with shortened breaths, I have to get to the other side. I sat in the road rubbing my sore legs, imagining the bruises that I was going to have watching this man compulsively run back and forth across the street, touching the walls with manic desperation. To the other side, he yelled as loud as he could between breaths. Jimmy waited for me to get up, but said nothing, watching the man with a big smile. Jimmy, I started to say something, but didn't bother. He motioned with his head for us to keep walking. Come on, Mitch, you're almost there. I went around the man cautiously so as to not bump into him again, and when we were clear, I asked the question anyway. Why no laughter, Jimmy? How's that, he replied. That man is as tragic as anyone else I've encountered on this road, but that didn't stop them from laughing before. I had an itch on the side of my face. Why didn't they laugh at him? Oh, Sammy? Now Jimmy did laugh. Maybe if we hadn't heard it a million times. I could finally see the end of the road. It was not far now. My hopes were dashed, however, when I saw that the road came to another wall, just like in the other direction. No. Mitch, you must know by now. No. I could only repeat to myself. I stopped walking and stood and looked at the wall in front of us. You don't have to, Jimmy told me. Everyone here has made that choice. There is shame, but we share it at least. We'd all like it if you chose to stay with us, Mitch. Jinzy especially. I looked at him. He pushed his greasy hair back and ran the tip of his tongue across the space in his gums where teeth once were. Jinzy has been real fragile since she lost her son, Jimmy told me and shrugged. We stood in the road for a long time, neither of us speaking. The end of the road, I told myself. I resumed walking toward the wall. Behind me, although I could not hear them, I felt the others joining us. The alleyway began to feel crowded, but it was a comfort to me now. At the bottom of the wall, which towered up into the haze, was a table just like the one in my kitchen. 
Sitting upon it was the same handgun I'd fired what might not have been that long ago. The loose bullets next to it, an ejected casing shining on the ground nearby. I had only needed the one. Everyone crowded around me and put their hands onto me. They were all speaking to me at once. They may also have been laughing, I am not sure. It felt like a prayer. It was like the hum of a radio stuck between two stations. I heard some of them more clearly than others. The manic suit man calmly told me, Get to the other side. Tony whispered, It could be worse. It could be me. Jinzy said, You'll do it until you get it right. Jimmy handed me the gun. I picked up the bullets and began loading it. I was sweating. The bullets rolled in my slippery fingers but went into the gun without issue. I loaded them all. I don't know why. One of the children could be heard above the others saying, He's just like a panda. Eats, shoots, and leaves. I put the gun to my face as I had before, feeling the cool touch of the barrel against my cheek, tears flowing down around the metal cylinder. I felt profoundly ashamed of myself, but found myself laughing through tears. For the benefit of the kid who'd made the panda joke, but knowing that they would all laugh, I replied, leave me alone, and pulled the trigger. <laughs>